there was a time in which everybody went to church. In this nation, at least, there was a time when everybody went to church. In fact, if you didn't go to church, you were weird. And people were worried about you. In fact, not only was it one of those things that if you didn't go to church, you were weird, you wouldn't get the business dealings that you would get if you didn't go to church. Do you understand? So you went to church. And that is the way that it was. And we th- and the people in the church thought, you know, there must be some people that are really strange that they don't go to church. That has flipped around on us, folks. Now we're the weird people. We're the weird people that go to church. And when that happens, what happens is that they categorize us all together. Because you see, a lot of people have never been in a church. In fact, a lot of people have never been in a church except they go for a wedding or a funeral sometimes. And there's not that many weddings and funerals or weddings and churches anymore. And just a few funerals that they'll go to. That's really the case for a lot of people who have never been to church. They don't know what's happening. So they start categorizing us with all the others, at least the ones they hear about. And who are the ones they're going to hear about? The ones on TV. And the ones they have the exposés of and that sort of thing. And what I realized back when I was on staff at a church and, and we had a staff member who had an affair. And this is the craziest thing I thought. Is that when he had an affair, every one of us on staff were suspect. They thought maybe we were doing that too. I mean, he'd been there 16 years. They didn't know about it. So they didn't have us that much. I mean, we were there shorter than he was. And they were thinking, well, maybe they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing either. So we're categorized into this group that these people on the outside think that we're weird. They're weird because we go to church. We're weird because maybe we read our Bibles. We're weird because maybe we give our money and things like that. They just can't figure out why that's the case. This uh, video that I want to show you in just a minute here, in just a second, uh, was on uh, HBO. It was on Max. I think that's what they call it now, Max. It was on HBO, and one of our members found it and called Brett. And Brett showed it to me, and I said, oh, that's amazing. And what it is, it's, it's called Hillsong a, a, a Mega Church Exposed. That's what it's called, uh, Hillsong a Mega Church Exposed. And in this, I'm going to start off with, they're showing that these, these, uh, this uh, guy has a, um, a podcast. And this podcast has, um, uh, it's called uh, Preachers and Sneakers. And it shows the preachers that are preaching in, in sneakers. And, the, and the, the, they'll show you the prices of the shoes as far as I go. I'm wearing a pair of cowboy boots I bought on eBay just right now to get that straightened out there. So you understand what I've got with me. I got a pair of cowboy boots. I got them on eBay. And that's, you know, I didn't pay full price. I paid 70 bucks. Or, and that's the, with the shipping and the tax. Anyway, so that's the, that's the way it is. So you see that. And they start going through. But here's my point. Now get to this point and get it again. On the outside... All of us look alike to the people outside the church. Now, there's a local church that they'll show, and I did not edit this. I want you to hear this. I didn't edit this, but there's a local church that they're going to show in this video. This on HBO. I'll see if you recognize it. Deb, could you uh, play that video? I think you have to play the video. Yeah. 
Okay, folks. <laughs> Who recognized that church? That's our church. That's exactly right. It's our church. You see, they just needed a, some footage of a church. And they just drove by out here, evidently. And they took a pictures of our church right here. Because it doesn't matter what the church is. We all look alike. You see, that's the situation that we're in, in terms of being able to stand before these people and tell them the gospel. They're saying, you go to church. I know about your church. Your church, your preacher makes a big bucks, wears really great sneakers, and wears a $15,000 hoodie, doesn't he? We know about your church. We know about you people that go to church. And so they, they believe that that we're all fleecing the congregation, the preachers are. And they, we, 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 they think that you guys are all just so duped. You're probably just sitting here with like this, you know, as I'm, I'm talking. And I'm just brainwashing you and, and all of that's going on. Well, you see, what was going on with, with Peter when he's writing to these people here? These people had, uh, it was a situation where if you went to church, if you were a Christian, you were weird. This is the time back in the New Testament. You were a weird individual. And they were doing exactly the same thing. They were categorizing. And when they categorized, what they did was they took the low-hanging fruit when they had any problems. They took those that they didn't know anything about. They took the people, for example, those, those people that were those Christians, you know. Those people, when something was stolen, it must have been those Christians. And when Nero said, you know what, it was the Christians that set the uh, Rome on fire. They said, okay, that's what, what happened there. And they were taking them to court. And you can read through this, this book right here, First uh, Peter. You'll see that he talks about him being accused, having trials and all that. You can tell what he's talking to them about is they're accusing them of things, bringing them into court because they're, they're the easy ones to pick on. They're the outsiders. They're not the people that are in the main line. Like, we're not in the main line anymore. And so what is happening here is, is that they're saying, we can take these people to court. And so Peter writes to them that they shouldn't be guilty of the crimes that they're being accused of. Does that sound kind of cool? That's right. So let's read 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 13 and following. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or governors as sent by him to punish those who, are, who do evil and to, and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God that by doing, uh, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So let's look at this piece by piece. Let's see what Peter is actually saying here. He says, first, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, if you take that verse right there and you want to take that verse and you're going to say, I I think what we need to do is we need to obey every law that is out there anytime that law is given. And every country that has laws needs to be able to take that verse right there and obey that law. Then you're going to have to go back to um, the people that were compliant with the people at the Holocaust and say what you did was the right thing because you were obeying the law. And that wasn't right. You see, the American soldiers, realizing the atrocities that were done at Buchenwald, they actually took the people from the town 
and made them go through that, that um, concentration camp. They did it because they wanted them to see, this is what you have been compliant with. This is what you've done when you have obeyed the law. See, so can we say without question that we're supposed to obey every law that is out there? Hmm. You see, then I think we need to go back and apologize to the British. Do you understand? Because during the American Revolution, they didn't comply with the law. You see, the American leaders, they sent their complaints to, uh, to King George. And they expected a negotiation. But what he did was he sent troops instead. And then the American revolutionaries, they told their soldiers, they said, even when they're, they said, we are going to have just self-defense only. We do not want you to shoot any of them unless they shoot at you first. And the Boston Massacre was one in which the British troops fired upon unarmed citizens. Well, after the fight that broke out between one American citizen and one soldier, and they ended up shooting these unarmed people. So the Declaration of Independence itself addresses an issue of tyranny. Does this scripture say, even when tyranny abides, we should obey it? The answer is no, it does not. What about at the time that it was written? The apostles are being martyred at this point. And Peter, he, he writes this scripture. Where does he spend a lot of his time? In jail. I'll tell you where he is. In fact, he's executed for preaching the gospel. And so, did he not understand what he wrote here? I think he did. See, how can we apply this scripture? Well, I think the word be subject needs to be understood. It's a very important one. It carries with it the meaning of putting things in order. In other words, when you say, you know, be subject, understand this is above you, this is the next, this is the next, this is the next. And understanding where it is in order. So be subject is a passive imperative. It means it's something that you allow happen to you, but you have a command to allow it to happen to you. Be subject. And so it's, it's determined by the order that should be there. Be subject is a command that we put things in the predetermined order. If I were to say to you, I've got a bunch of files and I want you to put it in alphabetical order. Wouldn't you go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, like that? You'd put it in a predetermined order. Surely you wouldn't say, I think we ought to put Z at the first in this one. Then we're going to put an R and then a P and then a Q, then an N, you know. Nobody be able to figure it out. It's got to be a predetermined order. Now, I know that some of you have been in my office and you see the mess that's in my desk. And some of you have said, but I bet you know where everything is. Not a chance. I don't have a predetermined order. I use the pile method. So how are we putting in order? It says, it says every institution needs to be put in order. Every law that we're expected to, be, to obey needs to be put in order. But I think a lot of people have already done this. They decide which ones need to be put in order. I mean, I'm just giving you my example of riding my bicycle. I ride my bicycle. And this is what I observe because I do it. I said, I think that most people think it's okay to... That, that speed limit sign is just a suggestion. 
you know, you can go any speed that you want to. You know, it's just a suggestion. And I don't think a lot of people know what that, that little knob thing, you know, that thing that sticks out on the, on the left side. I don't think they know what that's for, you know, the turn signal thing. I don't think they know what that is because people aren't using it anymore. And they certainly don't know that when you come to a red light, you're going to take a right, you have to stop first. And then take a right. They don't know about that. And I, I had in here different, something different, I'll tell you. But I watched one yesterday. I think it must be okay to run a red light as long as you don't hit anybody. I mean, I don't care how long it's been since it turned red. Because I saw one yesterday that I went, my goodness, why didn't they hit somebody? I don't understand why they didn't hit somebody. Because they went several seconds after it had already turned red. In fact, they weren't even close to the light when the thing turned red. So I, I just went amazing. But what happens? What happens when the police show up? What do you think happens? Do you think they go the speed limit? No, they don't, actually. They go under the speed limit. That's what bugs me because I drive the speed limit and I want to go the speed limit. And now they're going slower than the speed limit. And they use their direction signals and they stop before they turn right on red. They do all of that stuff when the police are present. So let's look at this. Look at our situation. We live in a republic. We have laws that are to be obeyed rather than just doing what the majority of the people are doing. In other words, simply because you're driving along and you're saying, I'm doing 65 and a 35, you know, and everybody else is doing 65 and a 35. You can't say, well, I'm just doing what everybody else does. And the policeman says, that's good. Then you go ahead. We have a republic, not a pure democracy, because that would be what everybody is doing. So what criteria do we need to use in order to know when we should be able, or when we should rather, not be able, but should obey the law? Well, I think the phrase, for the Lord's sake, takes care of that. And we need to understand what that means. For the Lord's sake implies that God is over every institution and in full authority. Now, the scripture agrees with that. Because, you know, I can tell you who's at the top. Let's put this in order. It says in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so who's going to be at the top? God himself. All authority. Jesus Christ said, All authority is subject to me. You see, when we pray that prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying that the authority great above us is Jesus himself. And that means that we are subject to his authority. Now, for the Lord's sake, does not mean that Christians are able to disobey any law that they don't like. I mean, I went on a mission trip to Mongolia. This is several years ago. And on the way to this place called Zonmad, which was about 70 miles outside of uh, Ulaanbaatar, which is the um, capital of Mongolia, and not too far south of Siberia, I'm telling you, it was really cold. I was on our way out there, and the missionary that we were working with there, I said, I said, what, uh, what, what do you want us to do? He says, I want you to go out in this village. There is no Christian witness out there whatsoever. There's not one Christian in the whole village. And we want to see if you can find an interest and see people come to know the Lord. They're in Zonmad is the place. And so I said, well, what, what, what works? He says, I don't know. I've never been there before. 
I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He says, I don't know, but you can't go door to door. It's illegal. And I said, okay. And so he, we drive up to the place that was the hut that we we're going to stay in. And we got out and he said, I'll be back in five days to get you. And uh, that was the training part. And so the, the thing is, is so, so what happened was I, I, the guy that was, that was with me, I had a, a translator as well, but the guy that was with me besides the translator, he'd never been on a mission trip before. He says, what are we going to do? I said, we're going door to door. I said, I got five days and I don't have five days to try to figure out what to do. I've got to do something that I know that I can do and I can do this. And he said, but what happens if they arrest us? I said, we will go to jail. That's what we'll do. We will go to jail. You see, at that moment, I had determined for the Lord's sake, meant that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to obey this. I just wasn't going to obey that law. But that excuse for the Lord's sake is used for all sorts of bad behavior by Christians as well. Ravi Zacharias used this to justify illicit sexual activity because he said, I'm under such pressure. And for the Lord's sake, I need you to do this for me. It's Jesse DePlantis. He used this idea to get a new jet, $57 million. Is that okay? I don't think so. He said, and by the way, he wouldn't have to pay taxes on it because it's part of his ministry. So that's kind of nice, isn't it? See, I think that's one of the reasons that a church needs godly elders. There needs to be somebody that says, no, this isn't for the Lord's sake. This is for your sake. And you've got to stop this. That's what needs to happen. Does this mean that God has authority of all that that God has chosen our rulers, the people that we have in elected office right now? It says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. See, now here's the situation, folks. I think that a lot of times what people want to do is they want to blame God for the people they've got in office. No matter what level of office, they want to blame God. But here's the way it works, folks. God has allowed for free will. Adam and Eve are examples of having free will. They had free will from the very beginning. He always gives us free will. If it wasn't, we would never have sinned. And it says in the scripture, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God gives us all free will. And then it says... God is not the author of evil. In another place in Scripture, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So what we're saying here is God is not in the business of being evil in any way. But then it says also God cannot even be tempted by evil. In uh, James 1.13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But folks, if you've read your Bible, it also says that there are times when the Bible says that God caused evil. You look that up. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It says that God caused an evil spirit on Saul. But when we look at the whole story, when we look at these stories, 
you'll find that God gave his grace and they resisted it. They rejected it. They stayed away from it. Now, here's the thing, think, folks. Every time God gives you his grace and you resist it and you don't do what he says, you get a little bit harder in your heart. You get a little more calloused and you cannot hear anymore. You cannot see like you should be able to see if you would obey what the Lord wants you to do. It says in Matthew 13, uh, 15, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they, and, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. You see, God has a desire to do this thing of grace upon people. But people resist his grace and they keep resisting his grace and keep resisting his grace. And what happens is their heart gets a little harder and a little more calloused. And they get to where they can't hear anymore and they can't see anymore like they should be able to see. You see, God allowed Pharaoh to resist his will. I will tell you this. He's done that also with some of the political leaders that we have today. He allows for those of us who voted for them to have free will as well. And he allows them to govern with their free will because he keeps this free will. Because of his omnipotence, we can clearly see how we would understand. He's responsible. He knew it. He could have stopped it, but he doesn't stop it. And so they say in the scripture that God caused it. You see, God will sometimes withdraw his grace and his presence. And when God withdraws his grace and his presence, what happens is evil always comes in. It always comes in. And so when God withdrew his grace from Saul, an evil spirit came upon Saul. God didn't make that spirit go, but God certainly allowed it to go in there. Now, let me give you an example how that works. People drive too fast by my house. It's 25 miles an hour in front of my house. I'll let you know that. Uh, they stop doing so when the police set out there and start giving tickets. And suddenly, we have the best drivers in the neighborhood of my neighborhood than in any other neighborhood that I know of. But what happens the moment that they, the police leave? They go back to driving fast. You know what I say? The police cause the people to drive fast by my house. It's because they're not there, are they? You see what I'm trying to say to you? When God withdraws his presence like this, evil always, always comes in. And so as much as God allowed people to disobey him, he's allowed us to vote sometimes for some ungodly people. And I'm going to tell you what, folks, I've gotten to the point in my life that I've realized that voting between the lesser of two evils is still voting for evil. And I'm just not voting for any of my Mickey Mouse may get my vote next time around. You know, I'm just telling you. And you're going to say, well, you waste your vote. Well, maybe that would be true. But I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And I think the other thing is, is that people are trying to say something along this line. Stop me, Lord, from what I'm about to do. Wouldn't you have to take away your free will to do that? I mean, it's sort of like this is in a Texas court. There was a lawyer. He was realizing that he's about to ask a stupid question. And he actually said this to the judge. He said, Your Honor, I'd like to strike the next question. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's the case. What he's trying to say is, you, you, you stop me from what I'm about to do. 
Stop me from what I'm about to do. You know, there is one thing to ask God for strength to not do something. It's another one to say, God, stop me from doing something. Because he's going to give you your free will every time. Our goal is to be the model citizens in all the law that does not violate the Lord's sake. See, keepers of the law are sent to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And doing good, by the way, folks, is more than just not getting caught. Because a lot of people think it's the same as not, you're doing good is when you don't get caught. So how much do we need to do? It says in verse 15, For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. For people already think that because we are, especially as church uh, preachers, preachers are probably the slimiest creatures that ever crawled out of a swamp. Because they're out there trying to bilk people out of their money and take it out of their their hard-earned wages and brainwash the people and and all of that sort of things. And and if you think that I'm fleecing you and I'm for your money and I live in a mansion and I'm drinking champagne every night, I'm going to have to tell you, you're wrong. You're wrong. See, there's plenty of evidence they have, though, because they can find those preachers that are doing it. And guess what they've done? They put us all in one group. They put us all in that one group. They categorize just like we do. We find a, a restaurant chain, and we find one of, those, um, one of those restaurants in that chain, and the food is bad. What do we say? The food's not good there. And we, every, every city we go in, don't go to that one. Don't go to that one because we found one. If we find a person with a, a jacked-up black Cadillac and he's a drug dealer, the next time we see a jacked-up black Cadillac, we think that's a drug dealer. We categorize like this. And so even some of the people think that because of our own righteousness, because we have a forgiveness that on us, that, that they think that we are, we are all still roped together in all of this. They think that we're judging them. Do you remember Westboro Baptist Church? I don't know if they're still around. They were in Kansas. And what they did was they protested military funerals. Did you know they came to Virginia Beach a few years ago? I cannot remember how many phone calls I got from people on the outside calling me and saying, how can you agree with this, this church that is protesting these military funerals, these people who've given their lives for this country? And I told them, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. But they saw the word Baptist and they thought that we were one of them. These people, they categorize it. So he says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I could harp on the ignorance of foolish people, but that word ignorance comes from the word we get agnostic. It just means that they didn't know. And the word from foolish, it means that they, they have no mind. And in this case, it means they're not believers. They don't believe. That means they have to have proof to believe. Now, our task is to prove them wrong, and we've got a hill to climb. I want you to hear this. Because an abundance of proof is necessary to prove something to someone who already believes something else. Why is that? Because many people fall into confirmation biases. That's the reason. A confirmation bias is a cognitive bias that favors information that confirms your previously existing beliefs or biases. In other words, you will confuse those, any information that comes in to confirm what you think you already know. 
This, I got this from uh, wellminded.com. It says, when that happens, they only seek out information that confirms their beliefs and ignore or discredit information that doesn't support them. Now, here's our situation, folks. We got plenty of churches that are out there that are literally bilking the people, promising that if they give $10, they're going to get $100 back in return, or they're going to get some magical number. If you give $153, you're going to get $1,530 back or some crazy thing like that, and they're telling people to do that sort of thing, and they look at that, and they know that that's just going to some kind of super superstitious nonsense and they think we're part of that and so we've got a lot of this confirmation then what happens with this confirmation bias they selectively remember information that supports their views while forgetting or discounting information that doesn't okay the third thing they have a strong emotional reaction to information, positive or negative, that confirms their beliefs while remaining relatively unaffected by information that doesn't. Folks, we got a hill to climb. Hear that. We have a hill to climb. And so you have to prove that you are none of those things that they thought you were. And here's the thing, folks. How are you going to prove it? I'll tell you two things. You get to know them, and they must get to know you. They've got to know your heart, and you've got to share your heart. Now, I know that my neighbors have gotten to know me a little bit better than, than they did before. I've been making pies and going over there and visiting them and doing all of this kind of stuff, and I'm just showing them that I, I just want to love them, and I, I pray for their families and all of this kind of stuff that I, that I do with my neighbors. And I, I know that they've... They know me well enough to know that I'm not playing with a full deck, you know? And they're wondering, what is this guy really up to? What is he really trying to do? And I'm doing my best to say, I really care for you. I really care for you. I believe that it takes more than a simple knock on a door to tell people that Jesus loves them. I think it takes us loving them. And I think we've got to overcome the hill that they already believe about us. So we are to be good, so good that it's noticed. Pray with me.